Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast with host Patrick Donahoe, author of the best-selling personal finance book, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, and one of the nation's most influential financial advisors. The Wealth Standard's focus this season is investing. 2020 opened with markets and asset prices at all-time highs, but many of us experience more financial uncertainty now than we did a decade ago. Although there are more choices and opportunities than ever before, the risk-to-reward ratio teeters on a global fulcrum, contributing to the roller coaster of emotions surrounding financial well-being. It seems like everyone is walking on eggshells. This season, we'll cover topics revolving around investment theory and strategy, atypical investments versus conventional investments, and the role of investing within personal wealth strategies. The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now. Hi, everyone. This is uh, Patrick Donahoe. How's it going? hope you guys are, especially right now, doing well. Of course, I'm going to stay on topic. I'm going to stay the course of our theme this season about alternative investments. I'm going to introduce my my guests in just a second. But I obviously have to speak to recent events. First, I've had a lot of you uh, reach out to me about the earthquake that happened in Salt Lake City. I was actually in my office sitting, if you guys are watching on video, sitting right in that chair over my shoulder. It was a 5.7 earthquake. I've never been in an earthquake before. And man, what a rush of adrenaline. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to do. It felt, the whole, it felt like the whole building was going to uh, come down on me. And then my, my wife called and you know, I answered and you know, I could hardly talk. I was just so like, wired with, uh, with adrenaline and, and energy. But thanks for reaching out. I really appreciate that. Everything's good. Uh, the building, she's pretty old, but she survived. You know, there's no noticeable damage. Uh, same thing with the house. I live you know, about three or four miles east of here. But thanks for reaching out. Everything's ever, everything's good. As if the change and the chaos wasn't enough with the coronavirus and how uh, the world changed in just pretty much a week, the earthquake on top of it. But we're good. We've had a bunch of aftershocks, um, but uh, all, all good. All good. Listen, I hope you guys are well. I hope that you are taking advantage of this opportunity. And I, I don't mean capitalizing on business opportunity or investment opportunity, but I would say capitalizing on being a different standard than how the, the status quo responds to times like this, shutting down, being afraid, hiding in a corner, sitting on the sidelines. I think that getting into the game when you're winning, you're playing an underdog or, or playing a team weaker than you, I don't think that's winning and that's success. These are the times when it puts you in the position of, of a choice and they're very simple choices and it's a choice of mindset. And it's not a one-time decision. It's a, a decision that I would say, especially now, uh, has to be made daily, and it's to choose to to rise to the occasion, uh, you know, choosing to be the leader, the voice, setting a new standard, a standard that doesn't succumb to the status quo of what everybody else is doing and saying, but it's being a solution. It's taking you know the lessons from the last five seasons of the podcast into an environment that you can thrive in. It's been it's it's almost like perfectly designed for what we've been speaking to the last several years. And I realize it's hard. You know, this is in the show notes. I'm going to put a email that Tony Robbins sent out to his audience regarding fear and how that emotion is within us all. It's part of our makeup and it's to protect us. At the same time, when you look at the just instinctual 
unconscious reaction to certain things, it doesn't always serve you. And, and I believe now a days it doesn't serve you at all. Being cautious is important. Beyond that, I would look at this as a tremendous opportunity to serve, to add value, to use what's inside you to make a difference in somebody else's life. And it may just be a good conversation. Uh, that's what I've been encouraging my team to do. You know, there's only so many things that we can control. But you can control how you show up to a conversation and show up to being the best conversation of a person's day, adding value wherever possible. Right now, there's tremendous opportunity for that. We're seeing corporations all around the world rally to be the solution. Obviously, everybody looks to the government to be a solution. I think that's a, a terrible solution. I'm not going to get into that today, but I believe that you know you really look at the entrepreneurial companies that are finding ways in which they can make hand sanitizer, make ventilators, figure out ways to provide medicine, make the vaccine process accelerated. I mean, there's so many, so many examples of this. You don't have to be the example in that regard. You can be the example in a simple way, whether it's helping your boss or helping your company to go virtual, being able to provide value through Zoom or through a podcast or through doing a webinar or through sending an email, using social media. There's so many different opportunities to do good right now. And I get it. It's hard. And I don't think the challenges are going to, to stop at just the virus. I think it's going to be even more challenging business-wise. Those are things we can't, con we can't control. We can't control our reaction to these circumstances. And I believe that if you guys are a longtime listener, man, so much opportunity right now to do good because there is so little of it. So be that voice, be that change. I know you guys can do it. And also, you know, just a few other things. We transitioned our YouTube channel over to brand new channel. If you guys want to go subscribe, that would be amazing. I know if you were subscribed to the, the Paradigm Life channel, this is a different channel. We're trying to create some separation there just to boost our audience as, uh, as well as marketing efforts for, uh, for the podcast and for Paradigm. But listen, you know, if you guys can uh, also get on social media, I'm trying to be way more active there. And I think we're going to be able to rally on this. A big thing about what I believe is that the asset that survives most crisis is the community. It's your community, online, your business, your network. And that is really where strength is when it comes to being able to withstand difficult situations like this. But I hope you guys are thriving. Hope you guys are, are out there with the mindset of serving and added value. It's going to pay dividends. I guarantee it. So be that voice. Love to hear from you guys. Hello at thewealthstandard.com or on social media. Let's keep this going. Let's keep the optimism as high as possible. And during these difficult circumstances, being an asset to the community, being an asset to the world. I know it's in you. I'm trying to do my part as well, and uh, let's do it together. All right, listen, my guest today is a longtime friend of mine and, and client. We met each other right after the 2008-2009 market crash. Everybody was dealing with some difficult circumstances. This guy, his name's Dave Zook, he rallied and has built an amazing investment business. He also has some manufacturing businesses as well. He was born an entrepreneur. He's in diapers trying to figure stuff out, but you'll hear a little bit about his story he grew up in Amish country, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and is just an incredible example of everything that we've been talking about the last several years about how to capitalize on opportunities to do things different. Dave has a couple of investments that he's done in the past uh, and currently doing that are definitely our alternative. <laughs> and so I know we're speaking right now where there's been a tremendous loss in the typical investments that are out there, but this is a great example of the opportunities that exist that provide a, a good service, but also a return on those that put forth the effort and the capital to make that service available. You can check him out at therealassetinvestor.com. And then on the show notes, we have a free report 
that he's put together that explains the investment and all the upsides. It's incredible. Guys, welcome my my good friend, Dave Zook. He's an entrepreneur, a syndicator, financier. He's raised more than $170 million over the last less than 10 years, actually. And he is just an amazing person. You guys are going to enjoy the interview. So make sure you check him out at therealassetinvestor.com. Now we'll cut to my interview with Dave Zook. Hey, what's up, everyone? Okay, I'm, I'm with my good buddy, Dave. Dave, it's hard to believe that we were 10 years younger when we met each other. You haven't aged a bit. I lost some hair. I think that's pretty much the extent of it. Plus, I can grow some facial hair now. 10 years ago, I wasn't able to grow facial hair that well. How you doing, man? How's life? I'm doing great. We're going through some interesting times right now, but we're super blessed. And we've got a lot, a lot of good things going and just happy to be alive. This challenging time, this will pass. And on the other side of challenges like opportunities. So I'm, I'm excited about what's ahead in the next 6, 12, 24 months. What's cool and what really inspires me, and I'll add to what I would, you know, what was said in the introduction to this podcast, but we met each other during a very interesting time and it's coincidental to what's going on right now because we're recording this the week of the big earthquake that happened in Salt Lake and as well as the coronavirus and pretty much the, the world being shut down. But we met during a time when there was a lot of uncertainty. It was kind of right in the wake of the financial crisis. And it's been inspiring to me to kind of see you from a distance based on all the amazing business opportunities you've capitalized on. And you were already doing really well with Horizon Structures and some of the stuff you were doing back home. But how you've grown has been impressive. And I'm so super stoked for the audience to learn from you because... I don't know, you have an amazing background, incredible philosophy, and you walk the walk. Like you've done it. You don't just talk about it, like you did it. And it's been uh, it's been impressive. So thanks for being a great role model to a lot of people. But let me get into the interview, okay, man? All right. So first, these are the questions I ask pretty much every guest. It helps to have the audience gain perspective of your background, your life, what's meaningful to you. So first, before you started working, and I think you've worked really long time, even before like you're legally able to work. But who was a role model to you? Who did you look up to? Who most inspired you? Before I started working, I'd have to say it was probably my dad. My dad was a very successful businessman, still is. And uh, you talk about me working before I was before it was legal to work. I, <laughs> I started in our manufacturing business. I started working when I was six years old. I, I would paint hinges and I would put the little set screw in the door latches for our doors and you know, those kinds of things. So I, I, would, I would have to say my dad, he allowed me in our family modular building business to spread my wings, take the helm early, make some mistakes. So I would have to say my dad. And then later on, when I started getting in business, when I saw him investing in real estate, I decided early on that I was never going to be a real estate investor. We'll see how that turned out. But I saw him self-manage some single family homes. And I was like, you know what, there's got to be a better way to to make money than that. And I started investing and working in and partnering with and founding some businesses. And just when I got going down that road, I met my now mentor, has been my mentor for the last, I don't know, 20 years. 
And so he's been my good friend, Bill Poole, who's now on my advisory team. His career is in banking. He's founded and then sold a couple banks and just kind of a Lancaster County success story. And and so he's on my advisory team. So I, w- I would say in my late teens and from there forward, it's been my, my friend, Bill Poole has been a huge mm-hmm. inspiration to me. That's awesome. All right. So second question, what superhero or icon in history do you personally most resonate with? I would say King David. I love reading stories. In fact, we just came back from Israel about a year ago. And um, one of the reasons we went over is I got connected with this author who wrote the Line of War series books. And it talked about King David and his mighty men and the struggles and, and all that that they fought through and finally came to rule the land. And I love reading those stories. You can't read that series of books and then go back and read in the Bible, First and Second Samuel, and it did it without just being able to kind of like live it. You can imagine what it might have been like. And then being able to go to Israel and see what it was like and being inside Jerusalem, the city walls and all that stuff, and really touring the whole country. Yeah, I would, I would have to say King David. That's amazing. Okay, third question. What charitable causes do you support? There's a couple. One is obviously our local Christian school, private school, where my children go to. And, oh man, that's the real estate story. We actually just purchased a 11-acre piece of property with a $4.3 million value. Uh, there's buildings on it. Of course, we, you know, we're having our school in this building. And so we were able to purchase that from a family who believed in what we were doing for $1.2 million. And so that's a great real estate story. A replacement cost on that building is seven point something million. So that was really exciting. So private school, have you ever heard of ADF? Hmm. Alliance Defending Freedom. So what they do is they will defend your right of free speech. They'll defend Christian values in this country. If you're holding a prayer meeting in a college and you're getting penalized for that, ADF will step in and defend you. They're a pro-life group. In fact, two or three weeks ago, we got to go down to D.C. with this group. My wife and I went down there. I think there were six couples and we stayed at the Trump Plaza right down in D.C., right next to the White House. We had dinner with the attorneys for ADF that were getting ready to, they were very influential in, in this case, in this upcoming case. And then we got to sit in front of the Supreme Court and watch them go through the whole session. You know, you, you got the nine justices, you know, that you see in the paper all the time, you know, whatever, or on the news all the time. And so we got to experience sitting right in the courtroom. And of course, this, you know, it was a pretty high-profile case. So there was people standing in line from Monday morning until Wednesday morning. So we had paid some college kids to stand in line for us and hold our spots. And then, of course, Wednesday morning, we go in and get in front, get into the courtroom. And we, and we did a whole tour of the Supreme Court and the White House got private tours, kind of back-end stuff. It was really cool. So ADF, I, I, I love that group. And then I have a a fund of my own, a trust fund of my own. I was never, and I know some people are, and there's nothing the matter with it. It's just personal preference. Some people will support causes and feed kids in Africa and Haiti and all that. Great. 
me, uh, I was never as active in those kinds of things as I am here locally. I, I like to do stuff a little bit more local. And so I set up a fund that cares for widows. But what I do is I set up this fund and I put assets in the fund. So every year I buy, I buy assets, I put those assets in the fund and those assets, the cash flow from those assets support, then I can cut a check out of the fund and support local widows. And, and what I do is I have those widows set up on a monthly where they get check. So it's not a like, oh, your husband died, you get one check. And some. Then pretty soon somebody forgets and whatever. So this is a monthly ongoing check until they either have some kind of liquidity event or they get remarried or something. So I love to do that. I put assets in that fund and then cash flow from those assets. Hopefully that's a fund that my kids will be able to administer 10, 20, 50, 100 years from now. That's really, really cool. Okay, so last question, of course, gaining a perspective of the, the life of Dave. If there was one attribute one attribute that you could impress on your kids, your grandkids, the world, what would that attribute be? I don't care if my kids aren't involved in the family business. Sure, I would like them to be. I, I, I would actually really like them to be. But you know, at the end of the day, what I really care about is just go out and make a difference. Just go out and impact the world around you. Just go out and hustle and build something. Build something that adds value to people. So whether you're doing that on your own, totally separate from what, what I'm doing or the family business or, or whatever, just go out and create something, build something. You know, as any successful entrepreneur, you got to have grit. You got to hustle. You got to go out and add value to the community, to the world. I'm hopeful that I can instill that and pass that on to my kids because I one thing that we'll discuss in entrepreneur is when you have somebody that's just kind of a, a drag on on society and doesn't add value to society. And and so I hope that I'm able to pass that on to my kids. Well, that's, you know, the influence that those that we love most in, in life growing up is usually who we tend to emulate, you know, in our, in our adult life. And so it seems like you've had just an incredible experience with uh, your family, but guarantee that all your kids will, even though they have uniqueness to them, will hopefully share that attribute. That's awesome, Dave. Thank you for sharing that. Well, let's get it. Let's get into investment, right? You know, you and I have had so many discussions over over the years, and I, I obviously gave you a ton of kudos just now in regards to what you've done. So, what I thought would be appropriate is for the audience to know about your investment philosophy. So, how would you briefly describe your philosophy about investment in general? So, I'm an investment and tax strategist. It's kind of my official self-proclaimed title. So look, we talked about 2008. We talked about when you learn the most is when you go through some kind of pain. So what happened to me was almost a decade ago, I got in a position where I had several really good businesses, got in a position where I had to pay a $500,000 in tax. And I was out there hustling. I was out there doing my thing. I was out there having so much fun. It didn't even feel like work because it was so much fun. I loved it. But at the end of the day, when I had to give, you know, I remember where I was standing when I got the call saying, you know, <laughs> you, you owe in two days, you got to cut a check for like, you know, almost $400,000. So that year, when you considered the quarterly payments that I had already made, you know, I was paying half a million dollars in tax. And, you know, that was kind of the turning point for me. It was like, man, I was in pain and I was, you know, I went down this rabbit hole of, of and that's why I ended up on the summit at sea the year you and I first met. 
we ended up, I showed up because Robert Kiyosaki was there. Robert Kiyosaki was talking about, hey, you can make millions of dollars a year and not pay tax legally. I was like, I got to hunt this guy down. There's, uh, you know, all my life I've been taught that if you make a lot of money, you got to pay a lot of tax. So I got my mind around tax and I went from paying a half million dollars a year to paying zero federal tax. And all the, my income's tripled and quadrupled and more. And I'm paying like a fraction of the amount of tax, you know, my tax, my federal taxes, somewhere between zero and 3% every year since then. And so what I realized, and this has to do with figuring out where the need is in a marketplace, what I realized that a lot of the people have that same kind of a need. I'm always amazed at how successfully run a business can be and a business owner can be so successful in running his business, but he knows so little about tax. And so one of my strengths as a syndicator has been putting deals together, not only telling someone, look, if you, if you invest $100,000, you get 180 or 200 back in five years and you double your money in whatever amount of years and whatever, but it has been being very strategic, helping investors navigate through the tax laws and trying to figure out how to be most tax efficient in what they're doing. And I was part of a tax team that came together toward the end of last year where a dentist sold his practice for 10 point something. It was between 10 and almost $11 million. He ended up coming out of that transaction with all but zero basis. He owned the practice for you know a long time. He would have owed 4.2 or $4.3 million in tax. His tax bill was 700 bucks. It was a combination of a couple different strategies. One was a 453A, and then we helped him invest his money into some assets that had a bonus depreciation component. So it was a multifaceted approach to not only putting him in a really good position from an asset appreciation and a cash flow position, but a lot of times your biggest return on your first year when you deploy capital, your biggest return on investment is tax savings. If you take somebody that's paying 37% tax and you wipe that out, that, that's 37% return right first year. That's not even considering what that asset actually produced or, or the cash on cash return from that asset. So that's kind of my thing. I, I love integrating tax strategy into an investment philosophy. Yeah, I think looking at what the future entails, given you know the situation with government liabilities, right? There's only a couple of ways they can pay that, right? And one of them, big one, is uh, is taxes. And right now, relatively speaking, tax rates are are really low, right? Yeah. Compared to what they've been in the in the past. And so I look at yeah, very interesting dynamic is going to be how tax law changes. But at the same time, that thing is a monstrosity. It's so big, and there's so many different ways in which you can deploy money so you don't have to pay tax, but yet most people are, and and their accountants, they just don't ever end up reading it or thinking that there's anything beyond kind of the status quo tax deduction that's uh, that's possible. Well, our mutual friend, Tom Wheelwright, taught me that, you know, if you want to change your tax, you got to change your facts. And that was like a slap in the face. That was like the jolt. Like, what are you talking about? It's up to me? You know, I just thought, hey, well, this is tax law. It's this is legislation. This, you know, if you make a lot of money, you got to pay a lot of tax. Well, when I discovered that it was up to me and that I was in control of my own destiny, that's when everything changed. And the thing to remember too is, it's not being super smart and trying to outwit the government and trying to, you know, evade taxes and all that. No, it's figuring out what the government wants you to do. 
and then going and doing it. There's a whole bunch of ways that the government comes to you and says, look, here, here's a list of things you can do, and here's what we really want you to do. And if you invest in those things and do business in the way they want you to do business, they'll pay you to do it. They'll give you those tax breaks. So it's, that's important to remember. You're doing what the government wants you to do. And, and here's the thing. If you're going out there and adding a ton of value to people, and you're giving people jobs, and you're building stuff and creating stuff, they'll pay you big dollars to go out there and do it. If you're out there with a W-2 job, just working for the man, just putting your time in, and you're not creating those things that the government wants you to do, all they're doing is giving you a fine for not taking their suggestions on what they want you to do. You're not listening to them. So that's, a, that's your fine. That's your penalty. Your tax bill is a penalty for not doing what the government wants you to do. <laughs> that's a very blunt way of saying it, but totally, totally true. And hopefully, yeah, people realize, especially the newer investors, that in the end, it's not about the return you get, right? It's about getting your money back first off, but then also getting your money back after tax. And obviously, there's tons of ways in which you can make investments and structure deals in which the tax is really low, if anything. One thing I wanted to really get into, and this is what you're doing as a big part of your businesses, which is syndicating, right? Syndicating, meaning you go out and you have investors all get their money together and make a big investment. So what I was really curious about, because you have some very unique type of investments. So before we get into those, what's your philosophy about when you decide to move forward on one of these investments that you syndicate? And when don't you? Like, what are some of the necessary components or criteria that has to be in place for you to move move forward? Would you speak to that? Yeah. So I'll back up just a second. I never started out as an investor thinking that I was going to be a syndicator. I I was really just out there doing what I wanted to do for myself. And then when I saw how it was working and realized that, wow, what I'm doing for myself, there's a lot of need out there for other people. And there came the opportunity when I started running out of my own cash. I bought a couple hundred units of my own, a couple hundred apartment units of my own, and I ran out of cash. And you know, at that point, I had a great team. We had still had a lot of opportunities back then in, in the apartment space. And I put a deal together and raised 850 grand, went out and funded an, uh, an apartment building. So that's kind of the start of my syndication career. It wasn't like I actually even meant to go out and syndicate. Then, I mean, for me, it's not as much about the deal on the front side as it is about the team. If I see a team out there, I sort of have some rules around my investing. Number one, it's got a cash flow. Number two, it's got to have some kind of tax strategy to it or tax incentive. When we got into the late into the apartment, what I felt was kind of getting late into the multifamily apartment investing kind of arena, we, we started getting closer to what I felt was closer to the top than the bottom or even midway. I started looking for an asset class that does well in a downturn or a recession. And so self-storage, self-storage was, I specifically wanted self-storage, but I didn't have a team at the time. You know how things, when you start thinking about things, then they sort of appear. And and so I kept hearing about this group. A number of my investors in my network had invested with this group over the last decade. Couldn't say enough of good things about this group. And that's when my ears kind of perk up and, and I start thinking, wow, this, you know, I like this, you know, because if they don't pass that test, they don't even make it in the door. So 
to me, it's it's about the team first, and then it you know it doesn't as much. And then if it fits my rules for cash flow and some kind of tax advantage, now those three things combined, now I start going down this path about okay, let's do due diligence on the team. I like the asset class. I like the asset class and the timing that we're in. Let's look at the team. And so I went down this path, found this team, brought them up to my neighborhood. I, I've got a really good friend who was chairman of the board of the National Self-Storage Association. I brought them up to his office and he interrogated them and kind of put his stamp of <laughs> approval. You know, so they went through this whole process. And now once I've got the team nailed down, then I like to do a whole bunch of deals with that team. So I just shared before we started the interview, I just shared with you how we just now finished, just wrapped up a $44 million fund. There's 11 self-storage assets in the fund. And so once I have the team nailed down, then we go out and just do a bunch of stuff together. So the self-storage, I mean, most people can get their mind around what that what that means and probably put together why it's an, an asset that does well during a recessionary, you know, recessionary time. But one of the unique investments that you have done, uh, and to my knowledge, I, have, I haven't come across anybody else that's done it as big as you have, but it's ATMs, right? So maybe talk to a very interesting asset class and what most would assume is kind of like a dying industry, right? But talk about the ATM investments that you've made over the last several years. So one thing to kind of remember or think about when you're thinking ATM operators, there's, there's two kinds of players. There's two kinds of operators. There's the mom and pop operator, and then there's the institutional operators. Mom and pop operators, they run around. They can service between 150, 200 ATMs themselves in a 50-mile radius, and you can make a lot of money in that sort of a situation. Then there's the institutional players. There's the Cardtronics of the world, publicly traded companies, billion and a half dollar revenue companies. And there's never been, to my knowledge, there's never been anybody in between. So let's just say you have an investor who wants to get into this space passively. You can't do it on the mom and pop operator side, typically. I mean, there's, there's a couple small guys. That get, you know, if you have a relationship with an operator and you want to bar- loan him 50 or 100 grand, whatever. That I'm not going to say there's not an opportunity like that, but you got to know somebody and you it's not widely available. Let me just say that. So the other option is to go trade a publicly traded stock. So what we do is we go, we play in the institutional space. We take down large portfolios of institutional grade locations, five, 10, $15 million portfolios at a time. And just give you an example, what is an institutional grade location? We own all of the McDonald's in all five boroughs of New York City, that's considered an institutional grade location. And so we've been able to take those portfolios and then bring them back. We'll put a big five, 10, $15 million portfolio under contract, and then we'll bring it back to Main Street and we'll break it up in bite-sized pieces, $104,000 chunks. And investors come in and buy, make $104,000 investment. They get seven ATM machines, which then get ruled over into our fund, and we manage them for them. So that's sort of the business model. And then we've really kind of systemized it and figured out ways that we as a fund can bear the brunt of the volatility. So we sort of have a committed return, like you as the investor, your seven machines, we're going to commit to you that you're going to make 3,373 transactions per month. Your portion of the surcharge revenue is 63 cents. Surcharge revenue can be anywhere between two and three bucks. You as an investor, you get 63 cents. You know, that's a 24.5% cash on cash return, 18.6% IRR. So it's a good way for an investor to get into 
an ATM play passively while getting into some of the best institutional grade locations you can find anywhere. So it's been a really good business model. We're now top five operators in the country and we've been to a long time. It's actually my most repeat investor asset class that I have. Like more people come back for more ATMs. They, they, they love the space and, and, and I love the space. I was a heavy, I invested in ATMs like four years before I brought it to my investor group. And now, I mean, given the circumstances, right? It's like during crisis, right? When, when people value cash than ever before, they would rather have cash than eat. <laughs> yeah. So while lots of other, and this is one of the things that makes me, I mean, it brings me great joy when I think about what Wall Street investors went through in the last month or two, you know, and I think about how much money we moved out of Wall Street into a safe, solid asset. I mean, you look at during this time, these last two months, I mean, okay, so year over year in the fund, our performance in the fund, and this is for guys that think that ATM are kind of going by the wayside and people aren't using them. Year over year in the fund, we're up 2%. But in the last six weeks, we've also seen a nice spike in activity. So while Wall Street investors are like losing their shirts, we're, we're like, wow, this is, I mean, this, you know, ATM demand and ATM use is way up. So here's what I would like to remind people that think that ATM use is going away, cash use is going away. People who can afford to invest in an ATM machine, that's exactly right. Those people, you and I, we've converted to plastic a long time ago. Well, there's a whole subset of the uh, demographic in this country who have not. And the people in this country who are regular users of ATM machines, they're the fastest growing demographic in the country. It's it's the lower income folks. And these people use ATM for their banks. 10, 15 years ago, used to, at the end of the work week, you used to get a check. Well, you don't get a check anymore. You get an ACH and it gets taken right to your account. Well, they go down to the corner deli. They walk out of their C-class apartment building, go down to the corner deli and get their 20 bucks, 100 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever, out of the machine. And so times change, but it's been an asset class that has done really well. There's more cash in circulation than ever before. And that demographic of people who use our machines are growing at a faster pace than any other demographic in the country. Well, Dave, this has been awesome. I mean, thank you for taking the time, especially during this insane week. How can listeners connect with you, learn more about your philosophy, learn more about your opportunities, you know, ultimately just follow and learn from you? So our website is therealassetinvestor.com. To send us an email, just send it to info at therealassetinvestor.com or ATM at therealassetinvestor.com. So (laughs) there you go. Yeah, we'll post all those links on the show notes. So head over to thewealthstandard.com. If you guys are in your car listening and can't write those URLs down, uh, just go over to thewealthstandard.com and all the links will be there. Patrick, for your listeners, I'll send the, there's an easy to read, I don't know, I think it's an eight or nine page report on ATM investing and kind of gives you the, the whole rundown of what, what that's all about. I'll send that report to you for your listeners and then you can just post it with your show notes. Cool. And yeah, we'll, for sure, we'll get that link as well. Not just the URL, but we'll get a link to, to download that report. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. One last thing before we, we sign off. Right now, I look at how crazy this set of circumstances we're living in, right? And I look at how there's so many different reasons to be pessimistic. What are maybe like the top couple of reasons why you're optimistic, 
right? Because I think there's always reasons to be pessimistic, right? And, and it's, I think it's easier for us to find those because we're creatures that are designed to survive, right? So we're always looking out for like something wanting to attack us. So it's easy to be pessimistic. Like, what are you optimistic about during a time when, you know, 99% of people are like running for the hills or hiding in their basement? Well, look, the big opportunities come in times like this. The big opportunities come in times like 2008, 2009, and they don't come around real often. But we talked a little bit about, I feel there may be some pressure coming in the multifamily space. Look, if people don't have jobs, people aren't getting paid, how are they going to pay their rent? So that could be a challenge. What's on the flip side of the challenge? Because it doesn't matter. I mean, if there's a challenge, there's an opportunity. So what's happened to interest rates? What if you're sitting on a mortgage? What if you're sitting on a $5 million mortgage and you're paying 5.5% interest? Well, guess what? Now you can refinance into a 3% mortgage. So there you have it. One big challenge, one big opportunity. Look, these kind of times are going to create opportunities like once in a decade opportunities. I'm always looking to exploit, even in our manufacturing business, You know, we, we're looking for times of weakness, and, you know, ways we can take advantage of what's going on in the marketplace. In the commodity space, there's always, you know, there's ups and downs and there's times, especially in the commodity space, where oftentimes, you, well, not often, but you'll get an opportunity to buy something less than the cost to produce that commodity. So, Every 10 years or so, we get an opportunity to buy roof sheeting at below cost to produce the roof sheeting. So we actually built a warehouse You know, about eight months ago. We built a warehouse to store uh, OSB roof sheeting, and it was at uh, below the cost. So we got like 50 tractor trailer loads of the stuff in, below the cost to produce <laughs> the stuff. And and now it's like, you know, almost double already a year later, not quite double what we paid for the stuff. The the price had to go up from five fifty a sheet to six seventy-five a sheet in order to pay for the whole building that we built. And now we got that building for the next fifty years. But those opportunities come along when there's stuff like this going on in the marketplace. And if you're ready and you're you're not scared and you know you're confident, you got cash, you can jump on opportunities like that. The saying I keep repeating over and over and over and over to my kids, to my wife, to the team, it's like when there is a challenge, there is like there is an opportunity, there's a solution, okay? So you can complain about the challenge, right? Or you can be the solution. And that's where I look at right now, you know, a lot of stuff is unwinding, but I think it's one of the greatest times in history for human beings to to step up and use their ingenuity and and make a difference and make some money too. I agree. All right, Dave. Thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing that. And for those listening, uh, head over to thewellstandard.com to connect with Dave as well as download that free report. We'll see you. uh, We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode 
and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.